You're listening to the Uncensored Direct Marketing Show. This show is designed for direct response marketers who want raw, unfiltered conversion tips and secrets to scale their offers profitably to reach their next million. I'm Maria Sparagas. I'm the founder of Direct Paynet and your host. Now let's dive in. Hey, everybody, this is Maria, and we're on another episode of Uncensored Direct Marketing. Today, I have a very special guest, my friend, my pal, my ex-colleague or somebody that I worked with in the past. His name is Malcolm McKinnons, and he is the expert in everything that has to do with fulfillment and just about everything in online business. Malcolm knows a little bit about everything and can pretty much guide you to success in any part of your online business. So I met Malcolm. Malcolm, when did we meet? Maybe like what? Seven, eight, I don't know, 10. Fuck. That like sounds men. about right. We've, yeah, we've we've known each other for a really long time. And we met through a mutual client and uh just connected, became friends. And I obviously think that Malcolm, uh, you're you're a really smart guy and you know what's up. So I wanted to, to have you on Thank my you. show. And a lot of merchants are going to be very interested in hearing about this. Anybody who's selling supplements or any any product that needs some kind of fulfillment is going to get a ton of value from this episode because Malcolm knows everything about fulfillment. So Malcolm, <laughs> I hope I did you justice with my intro, but I will let you talk a little bit about your experience and what you've done and, and how you know so much about fulfillment specifically, but also how you know about online business. Wow, I'm, I'm looking over my shoulder to see if I've got some sort of cape or something because uh, that was quite an intro. I was Super too kind. Um, I, I, well, yeah, I only hope to live up to that. My fulfillment experience started, ooh, I'm going to really date myself, in the 90s. Uh, I ended up being a business analyst for a building materials distribution company. And I ended up starting up a distribution uh, company as well and ended up doing a bunch of turnarounds. So these things were, businesses were sort of of the order of magnitude of about uh, 500 million Canadian. That's about how big uh, the companies that I was working with were the later ones that we ended up turning around ended up growing to about a billion dollars. So I've seen it. Uh, we bought companies, we integrated companies, we did all kinds of crazy technical integrations, all that kind of stuff. But bottom line is, is that it's... A, place to bring in stuff. It's a place to sort stuff. It's a place to package stuff. And it's a place to ship stuff at a very, very, very high level. That's that's what it is. But there's a whole slew of nuances, as you've alluded to. So uh, that's where I got my start in distribution. And then in the online supplements business, I had the good fortune to stumble into a project for, uh, it was an IT project for someone who was uh, well-regarded in the uh, online marketing space, direct online marketing. And so... I was working on a project with him. It was kind of funny because I actually recommended that he stop the project and turf me. Um, at the same time, <laughs> he was sort of shocked at this. And so then he put me in as a project manager for rolling out his supplements. And I maintained that for sort of three, four or five years. And I think that's where I learned how much I didn't know about processing. And you were very kind. You uh, took me under your wing and, you know, sort of guided me in a variety of different ways and gave me just enough to be dangerous, sort of that just enough knowledge to be dangerous in a variety of different circumstances. So uh, thank you for that. And I will long remember you. For those of you that are listening, uh, if you don't know about Maria's expertise in processing, she has forgotten more than the vast majority will ever know about processing. So oh, come on, uh, you're now, now you're sh shamelessly, that. you're plugging me. I'll, I'll send you your payment later. We can get, <laughs> we can well, get We've been in the affiliate space, right? So no, yeah, and, and yeah. in all seriousness, she knows her stuff and uh, she's very generous with her time. She taught me a bunch. So thank you, Maria. 
You're welcome. And there's one important thing here is that fulfillment and processing goes hand in hand. So that's a, a great lead in right uh, into into our conversation is that people think, you know, fulfillment and the billing department or the payment processing department are two very, you know, they, they shouldn't talk to each other. But actually, if something happens to one, the other should know and vice versa. So, uh, you know, great, great lead in. And I know you have a, a nice opening remark about something that we spoke about last week. So I'll let you, I'll let you, this is going to resonate, I think, with the audience. So I'll let you go ahead and say it. Well, when I first started in the uh, online direct marketing space, someone told me a quote, and I never actually have validated the quote, but I'm going to say, hey, this is apparently Dan Kennedy said that the sales window doesn't close until the refund window closes. So the sale's not done until the refund window closes. And you could say the same thing for chargebacks. Yeah. Right. So basically you have a commitment to that customer until you don't. And that sale is extended for that period of time. And that includes fulfillment. And that's part of why we have that. It's a good way to think about fulfillment. And there's a, a second aspect or a second way to think about fulfillment in the online direct marketing space. It's kind of like the equivalent of the shelf in a retail store. And we'll talk a little <laughs> bit more about that a little bit later on today. We'll yeah, no, I mean, the digital world and the physical world, like a lot of people are going from, you know, physical to, to digital now and so forth, and they're having a hard time. But that's a that's a perfect, you know, example and lead in is that, you know, it's a virtual shelf. Well, it's a physical shelf, but it's one that you don't see. Uh, the customer doesn't see, but it, it's the same premise. So talking about, you know, just, you know, a lot of merchants that since COVID have increased their uh, their output and, and maybe have gone from uh, selling a lot physical to now selling online and so forth. How would you, like if you're brought into a project, how would you select a fulfillment house for a merchant, uh, you know, let's talk about a high level, somebody who's doing six figures a month or somebody who's aspiring to get there quite quickly. How would you choose a fulfillment house? There's so many out there. Sometimes I feel like a lot of them are just different names going to the same place, but you know best. So give us like top three, four things that you would look for. Probably the, the number one would be experience in the domain. The hardest thing about fulfillment is anticipating the problems and knowing how to deal with them because they are going to happen. And once you understand all of the little things that can happen, then your ability to deal with those things in a smooth fashion so that it doesn't affect your chargebacks or something like that. So number one would probably be experience. Mm -hmm. The second is I'm a big fan of integration. So we talked about how the processing department needs to know what the film department's doing. The reality is that these businesses are systems. And so having a film provider that can respond efficiently and understands discovery throughout the rest of your enterprise, that makes it useful. So for example, let's say that you're using a particular CRM. If they already integrate with that CRM, that's going to save you a heck of a lot of challenge. And you can depend on that integration to help you solve those challenges when they come up. And there's a variety of things that you should do. So the second thing would be ease with which that fulfillment provider can integrate with the rest of your systems. Cost is always going to be a consideration, but scale is another piece. So a really good fulfillment house for a small group might not fare very well for a very large group. And so walking through with your fulfillment provider, all of the products and all the combinations to hear how they're going to handle each one of those to get that out to your customers, that's probably the single best thing that you can do. So go through the thought experiment, think about all the things that you think they're going to need to do, ask them how they do it, ask them about quality checks, ask them about all those things, and then ask them about volume. 
the right fulfillment provider for someone who's doing 10 initials a day is not necessarily going to be the same one for someone who's doing 10,000 initials a day. How easy, just talk, talking about that, like, let's say I'm starting out, I'm doing, you know, uh, that 10 sales a day, I choose a fulfillment house. How easy is it to switch? Is that like an easy thing or should you plan, like how, how far ahead should you plan, you know, uh, to be able to fulfill? Because like you said, you, you're starting out, you have 10 sales a day, this is a good fulfillment house, but then you're doing 500 sales a day. Is that, that's not the same partner maybe? Absolutely. The larger guys in the industry already have relationships for their given brands with four or five different fulfillment providers and four or five different manufacturers if they're not doing it internally. Um, there's also a decision that you have to make between internal, you know, doing all of the fulfillment yourself. You know, the apocryphal story of the guy in the in the garage, you know, putting the labels <laughs> on the own bottle. I don't recommend that unless you've had experience doing it, but it is an option. Is it easy to switch? Changes are never necessarily super easy or super hard, but there are ways to do it that make it simpler. So for example, okay. with one client, I was, uh, I actually ended up with a phone call at five in the morning saying that the fulfillment provider was not going to accept a 500,000 bottle order landed, even though I'd talked to them in advance and said, Hey, this is coming. This is coming. You're good. You're good. Yes, 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 yes. So I get the phone call and it's like, what? You promised <laughs> me that you would accept this. Right. So being able to make, makeshift adjustments to facilitate something like that on the fly is where you're going to get into some challenges. So having a backup fulfillment provider would be one way to handle that particular issue. As it happened, we ended up renting some containers and stuffing the stock in there and adjusting their process. That's what we ended up doing for that particular instance, but it wasn't a fun, it wasn't a fun time. Okay. Well, I mean, you know, having a backup merchant account, having a backup fulfillment, having a backup advertising source, it all comes down to backup. So that's, that's a interesting <laughs> point. You know, I, I mean, a lot of people just figure, well, I have one merchant account, you know, I'm not doing anything black hat. I'm just having, you know, one product da, 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 and then one fulfillment, but all these different processes, they all come with a certain risk. Like somebody who goes out of business, somebody who, who has downtime, technical, something, you know, these things happen. So, you know, lesson learned here is for everybody who Who's doing anything in the direct response space specifically is you need backups to everything. You got one merchant account, you got to get another, you got one fulfillment, you got to get another uh, and so on and so forth. So specifically on the fulfillment house, I know we spoke about this, mm -hmm. like, you know, randomly, what would you look for in the fulfillment house? Like, uh, how should it look? How should it feel? Like, should you go look at the, visit it like, or absolutely. virtual tour? You know, what, what do you so suggest? So my preference, uh, we're in a COVID time, so it's a little bit trickier now, but I would absolutely recommend you walk the warehouse. Uh, there's a whole slew of different things that you can identify when you're walking a warehouse. I've walked more than my fair share. I've been doing it for, I don't know, 30 years. High level Malcolm, things you you're not for. like 65 here, 30 years. Come on. You're a young uh, lad, 30 years. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> I've actually been, I don't know if I told you this. One of my first jobs was in a warehouse with a very large furniture retailer that speaks a lot of Swedish. Okay. So uh, just to, just to- You ate a lot of meatballs. Yeah, they were very cost-effective, very cost-effective. Yeah, so I've actually been working in warehouses for an extended period of time. And so, yeah, there's nothing quite like a visit. Take a look at the flow. You wanna see something, you know, this is common in COVID where what you want is you want one flow of people through. You actually want that for your product flowing through the warehouse as well. If you see anything with a whole, you see a path where it you know, comes in one door and goes out the same door, that's usually an indication that it's probably not an awesome fulfillment provider. Want to know why? Because if it comes in one door, it's easiest to just plunk that product right in front of 
your old product. So your old product gets hidden. And this comes to the second trick. And when you walk that warehouse, drag your finger along the product in the back corner. If it's up with a whole bunch of dust, that means it's been there a long time. And if it's been there a long time, it means that they're probably not using first in first step strategies. So a really good strategy is to walk the warehouse and just drag your finger along the, the less traveled product. Especially uh-huh. if you see some of that in the staging area, if you see that same product out getting shipped, and ooh, that's probably going to be stock that's going to go off and you're going to end up with a problem. You're probably going to have to chuck it out. One of the things that we talked about last week was as a consumer, it's really disturbing to see something with a you know best before date of even within three months. Well, part of how, what you have to do is you have to look at the process inside the warehouse to see how it prevents that. And mm-hmm. the easiest thing to do is to just go wipe your finger along the, the back stock. So, um, not very technical, but it works. <laughs> it, it's, it's simple, but it's remarkably effective. You also want to see a quality check. So you want to see how they're actually loading up your product. And then you want to see who checks to see what, what gets stuffed inside that envelope. So, you know, coming back to that analogy of the experience, anything that would cause a customer to put that product back on the shelf, if they were in a physical retail store, yeah. You want to look for opportunities for that to happen through your fulfillment provider because you're going to have the exact same impact. So if they're manhandling the bottles and you've got a thin IFC on yours, it's probably not going to travel well. So an IFC is a box that, that's a retail box that sits around your bottle. So it's probably yeah. best to put that in a box as opposed to inside the classic bubble envelope because it gets bent. And you know, just think about yourself. If you're in a retail store, are you going to take the one with the bent side? You're probably not. Yeah. So if you receive it with bent, the idea of that being a premium product is tricky. So that's another trick. So um, making sure they're shipping out the, the right number. So this comes to chargeback fighting. A good strategy is to actually weigh the envelope as it goes out. The reason why is, is that most supplement bottles are approximately the same weight. Not all, but most of them. And it's typically very different from the bubble pack or from the box. So if you actually, because they require the weight to go on the bill of lading or the, the transit documents that go out with yeah. it, you can actually check to see whether or not they shipped the right number of bottles. And if you have this person coming back with, hey, I ordered six and I only got one, well, you can actually pull up the BOL. Oh, it kind of looks like you, you might have got six. Now we can have a nice. discussion about how to handle something like that you know, <laughs> uh, from a policy standpoint, but at least it lets you know whether or not you should blacklist them in the, in the CRM if that ends up being the decision that you take with that particular customer. Okay. Well, I mean, that's definitely important. And obviously, if you can't go in physically, then you can do a virtual tour or something. But the lesson that I'm getting here is you got to see how this fulfillment center is is laid out, how things are going. Obviously, the, the finger is a physical thing, but maybe you could ask the guy that's holding <laughs> the camera, giving you the virtual tour <laughs> to do that. But, you know, uh, obviously, depending on what your size is and, and so forth, um, you know, once you start scaling, this is an important thing. And, you know, you you touched upon like nightmare scenarios or bad scenarios. And and the, the interesting thing is, you know, when I go to a store, it's the same thing. Like you said, if I see a, a bottle in a box and it's just a little crunkled or something, and everybody has this habit, they, they just take the one in the back because they don't want the one that's like manhandled a little bit too much or that looks, you know, uh, used or, or whatever. So, I mean, it's the same thing when you're fulfilling a product and that's, it's important. Every little aspect, you know, you were saying to me when we had a discussion last week, Malcolm and I, by the way, we, for our audience, we, we talk often and we we're just, 
shooting the shit last week. And um, he mentioned to me about a merchant who something about cigarette smoke and, and, oh, and, yeah. and returns and <laughs> so forth. So, you know, little, just, I'll let you say the story, but just, this is for the audience is that little things can impact, you know, chargebacks and your revenue and all that. So tell us about this anecdotal nightmare story. <laughs> okay. So we were seeing a slightly higher rate of refunds. And when we traced back, we noticed that it was, Shipments that went out on Friday after two, I think it was, had the challenge. And we're like, why is it we have a ginormous return rate only on bottle shipped Friday after two? Is there something wrong with you know the sorter or is there, you know, long story short, we ended up drilling down to find out that in the area where the, the product was being packaged, there was someone that was smoking. And of course, it's a health supplement. So if you can just imagine your customer opens up this, this bubble envelope and all of a sudden there's this stale cigarette smoke that hits them in the face. Hey, walking, surprise inspections, all that kind of stuff. These are great for fulfillment or even just, hey, can you just give me a virtual tour? Ask the, the warehouse manager, just grab their phone, just walk you through it. Yeah. Go see this product, go see that product and take a note of some of the things that you see. So that was the story we talked yeah. about last week. Well, yeah. So, I mean, that's exactly it. And a lot of merchants in the supplement space, you know, they're selling skin creams and stuff like that. And smell is such an important part of you getting your package, right? Sometimes I get these like drop ship stuff that I order from China and I open, I'm like, oh, you know, it doesn't make me want to use it. But obviously if I'm paying two bucks for something, that's one thing. If I'm paying 70, 80 bucks for a cream or or some something I'm going to, especially if something I'm going to ingest and it stinks, well, I don't want it. So, so there Absolutely. you go. You know, these, these are, this, this is directly related to chargebacks and refunds and, you know, problems that you can have with your merchant account because of something that you don't know. And that takes us to testing your fulfillment. I mean, the simplest thing you can do, and I tell this to merchants all the time is test your fulfillment, just have people from various parts, like a couple of people, one in Florida, one in New York, one in, you know, just different parts of the country, just order your product and, and document. When did you order? When did you receive it? All that stuff. And, you know, that's that's a lesson learned from the great Malcolm here is test, test, test. And, and I, I test everything though. I test like everything in, in every part of my life. When I do something, I always test it to make sure it's, it's the correct thing. So that's the way I live. But talking about testing, like, do you have like something that you, like a, a test, document or how do you suggest people test to make sure that things are, are going well? Uh, fulfillment, probably the best way is just to have a regular subscription package and then periodically drop in a few orders. You don't want people recognizing the credit card. You don't want the fulfillment provider necessarily recognizing the name or the address or something like that. So, cause they will do that. It's natural uh, to go oh, ahead wow. and do, but have a regular process whereby you introduce a new name, a new place, a new address, a new credit card, and actually experience Look, See how long it takes, what you said. Open it up, see what the product's like. Are the IFC's bent, is anything pulled back? Um, I remember we're dealing with one client where the fulfillment provider was, because they were doing, it was a, an off-the-shelf product, that fulfillment provider was actually shipping out half-filled bottles. So the only way you're going to discover that, because the indication that you could have was the weight, but the other side of it is, is that if people are receiving half the product that they're paying for, then you know that they're going to charge back. And that was actually an issue with one of my clients. So how did we discover that? Well, guess what? It was the mystery shopping, just the same way that they do in major retail, where they send mystery shoppers in to go test the experience and the conversations and all that kind of stuff. Exactly the same thing with your fulfillment provider. 
That's awesome. That's a, that's a great lesson testing and, and testing in all your markets too. So if your fulfillment house is in the U S and you're selling to Canada, don't just take it for granted that people in Canada are going to receive it. There's lists of ingredients and Malcolm, you're the expert at this in terms of like checking, you know, sometimes it's benign stuff. Like I had a, a merchant who was having a huge amount of chargebacks and we were like, what the hell? I mean, the guy's selling and the funnel's pretty clean. Everything's good. And the guy was basically selling uh, a product to Australia. He was mm-hmm. British selling to Australia. And there was just like one flower of some sort, something really benign that we didn't even realize, but that specific variation or the name of it was getting it stopped at customs and the packages were never going through. And obviously, you know, my job was, okay, well, where are these chargebacks coming from? I'm like Australia, 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 Australia. Okay. Well, obviously there's something wrong with Australia. And then it was just, there was an ingredient that was getting it stopped at the border. And, and then once we fixed that, all the chargebacks were gone. And, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, well, only 5% of my sales are coming from Australia. Yeah. But that could be 5% chargebacks. <laughs> like if you don't, if, if it doesn't get to where it needs to go. Right. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think your point here is is that slicing and dicing and understanding, you know, every angle through which those chargebacks can come so you get visibility into where the consistency is. Australia is another challenging spot for domestic merchants, U.S. merchants, because can very frequently take a long time. And the time that it takes for the customer to receive the the product, there are a few tricks that you can use from a fulfillment standpoint to try and get it there faster. And it's not just, you know, hey, go FedEx or go UPS and get a courier charge that's enormous. There are other strategies that you can use. Sometimes that makes sense for your very large products. So let's say, for example, you offer a six or a 12. It sometimes can actually be cost effective or make more economic sense to FedEx those because the likelihood of chargeback if you FedEx them is significantly reduced and you want to keep that customer happy. So it's a demonstration of customer happiness. So FedEx, because obviously it goes faster and you get like the, the proof of delivery or, or maybe maybe you're saying like in the US you don't have track shipping, but then international you offer track shipping. Is that? Yep, absolutely. You can, you can absolutely end up with that. Um, the track shipping can make a big difference on your chargebacks the winning, not necessarily the earning. But sometimes uh, customers will actually get a sense that if they're getting something through FedEx, that they feel more special and therefore will be more reluctant uh, to charge back. I've seen that before. Yeah, that's funny because I get the same the same thing. When I see FedEx, I, I open the door, but when I see Canada Post, I don't open the door. There you go. <laughs> I don't know why, but yeah, it's not it's not uncommon. It's not uncommon. So for your really big customers, the whales, the ones that you really want to keep, yeah. Treat them really well. Put them on a special uh, shipping strategy. And then, you know, talking about, you know, chargebacks, it's my favorite topic. I I have to, I have to keep talking about it, but chargeback mitigation, refunds and so forth. This, I, I, I didn't really follow. So I want you to clarify for me. You know, when do you ship products? When do you wait a day? When, you know, because we get all kinds of merchants like that write different stuff on their apps. It's like immediate shipping or wait two days or it takes five days. Or how do you figure all that stuff out? The delays of when to ship, how to ship and how long it should take. What's what's the sweet spot? (laughs) You're going to hate my answer. It (laughs) depends, right? Traditional consulting answer. So in your system, if you're trying to reduce chargebacks, the shorter time to get the fulfillment provider to ship it out, that's your best strategy. Because a whole bunch of people refund within the first 24 hours, if you want to save money and lower your inventory pressure, then you can add a 24-hour window 
from when the order gets taken to when it gets pushed over to fulfillment. And the reason for that is, is that if your customer service team gets the call and can cancel it, they can void it prior to shipment, then guess what? That stock hasn't gone out and you've saved that money. You haven't paid the postage, you haven't paid the inventory costs, yeah, all of those other kinds of things just haven't been paid. Mm-hmm. So it depends on what you're trying to optimize for. But uh, rule of thumb in the industry, if you're aggressive and your big goal is to prevent chargebacks, shortest window possible. Okay. It is the most expensive from the rest of the function standpoint, but yeah, oh, I guess they're coming again. Oh, somebody's, somebody's coming for you, Malcolm. All those 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 shipping tricks, <laughs> fulfillment tricks. <laughs> but yeah, that's interesting. The fact that that most refunds occur. So I guess you you send the the confirmation, I guess, to the customer by email saying, "Hey, you ordered this," and they get this like buyer's remorse or whatever, or maybe they see it on their their credit card statement online, and then you, you're saying that most refunds happen in 24 hours. So that's why. I mean, it varies based on the funnel, but if you create that 24 hour window, yeah, you're capturing a bunch. What you really want to do is you want to take a look at the buyer's remorse refunds. Take a look at those early stage refunds. It's going to be a trade-off because if you have it three days, then you'll get all of those refunds, but you're going to increase your likelihood of uh, chargeback because people are going to be, where's my stuff? Where's my stuff? Where's my stuff? And it's a false economy as well, because the longer it takes, especially folks in the US, the longer it takes for something to ship out, the more frequently you're going to have people finding in your customer service and saying, where's my stuff? Where's my stuff? Where's my stuff? Yeah. And you definitely don't want somebody to get their credit card statement or like their month end credit card statement and not receive their product. That's, you know, people don't like paying for stuff they haven't gotten. So <laughs> lesson learned Great. is, I guess maybe a good rule of thumb is when you're starting is, is to, if you, you know, depending on, on how aggressive your offer is, is to wait the 24 hours, you know, cause that seems kind of low risk. Would that, would that be your, let's say you're starting out with a, a merchant, would you say that would be your starting point is to wait the 24 hours or should people just right away start with the, the being aggressive and shipping immediately? <laughs> I'm a big fan of just doing a quick look. If you can see that you're going to have a lot of opportunities for people to have buyer's remorse, then creating that window is probably sensible because it's going to save you in the long run. 24 hours, I've never seen cause a significant increase in chargebacks. Rule of thumb is three days. That's, yeah, if you take three days to ship, you're probably starting to hit chargeback territory in for US products. Um, international have altered expectations about when things are gonna arrive. And so you have a little more flexibility with them as long as you communicate. But one good thing to do is don't just give them an order confirmation, give them a shipment confirmation. So some CRMs will support this, send an email, that gives them an update. So imagine it like um, when you order something from Amazon and then you get that update that says, ah, congratulations, thanks for your order, da 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 And then you get nothing. You sort of feel at sea because yeah. Amazon's setting the new bar for what's required in e-commerce. So because they send that, it probably makes sense that customers will expect any e-commerce merchant to send out that type of update. So find a way to send that email out, keep in touch with the customer, keep them informed, let them know that things are on their way because that's what's going to motivate them to not refund. All the simple old school customer service stuff, you know, just letting people know, right? So yeah, send your your email order confirmation and a couple of days later, you know, or when it ships, hey, here, you know, here's your tracking, if you offer tracking, whatever, and and Mm -hmm. just let people know. And if they know, then they, they don't 
bother calling you. They don't charge back. They don't do all that stuff. So that's interesting. You touched upon the technology thing and I know mm-hmm. you're a busy guy, so I don't want to, I don't want to destroy you in terms of time. So I just want to get to a couple of questions left um, because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm so curious about this. It has so many implications with what I do specifically, like with merchant accounts. And it's like, people don't realize it. And I just feel like I need to drive that point home, but technology implications, testing that, like, how would you test or what are the features, I guess the better question is, what are the features in your CRM that you need to have to say that this is a good integration with the fulfillment house? Like, let's say you're using CRM one, fulfillment house, ABC, what do you look for? Like, is let's say a showstopper, if they don't have shipping confirmation capabilities, like what are the, give me like three top things that would be like, okay, this is not a good integration. So in terms of the CRM and, and the fulfillment provider, it's sort of a blend. The first and most basic level is you don't want to have to do an export and ship something over. There's a lot of systems that will actually require that, especially if you're scaling, that's going to kill you. So don't do that, right? Look for an integration that says, hey, we're going to batch, send these over without having anyone get involved. So that's that's one piece. I would say that notification of shipping, so getting that shipping confirmation information back into the CRM is huge. And the reason it's huge is because, one, there's a whole bunch of statistical work that you can do with the time that that actually gets pumped back in. But the second piece is is that if your customer service team is talking with the customer and they're dealing with, where's my stuff? If they have to go into three or four different systems, that becomes harder. That integration back in, especially if you scale and you end up having multiple fulfillment providers, you want to have one screen for that customer service team to be able to look at. That's the fulfillment provider providing information to the rest of your system. The thing we talked about at the beginning of this, yeah. that's really important. It's trying to make everybody in the system able to do things easily. So last but not least, there's some CRM systems that try to do inventory. And that's really tricky because the theory of inventory that, hey, the only thing that gets lost is the product that gets shipped out. The reality is, is that there is slippage. You have to understand it. You have to manage it. So you're going to have to actually take account of uh, your inventory and take a look at what's there. Don't take it as a fait accompli that what your CRM system, just because it's deducted those uh, bottles from inventory, that that's exactly what you have on the ground. Because what if there was a leak? What if the water comes in, seeps in, that bottom stock just happens to be, you know, fit. I mean, we're talking about Hurricane Alley for a whole bunch of these fulfillment providers in Florida. The reality is, is that the water can lift up and wipe out a bunch of your product. So these are considerations that you want to have and you want to build processes to make sure that you don't get caught out making promises and then getting stuck with no inventory. Inventory management is huge post-COVID. I mean, I know a lot of merchants that were doing different things and then, you know, selling 50 bottles a day or or whatever. And then all of a sudden COVID hit and, uh, oh, that went to 200 a day. So inventory management is huge and setting people's expectations. And sometimes it's good to pull back maybe on your advertising and kind of rejig all this stuff and then go back and, you know, you don't want to get caught high chargebacks, match listed, or it's like problems with your processing because you didn't manage it properly. But, you know, you know, like you said, in Florida or different areas. And if you're going to get different fulfillment houses, you might as well get them like kind of peppered around the country, I guess. Is that is that a good practice? Sometimes. Uh, again, it depends on what you're trying to optimize. So there's a very large player in the space who benefited tremendously from having their manufacturer and the fulfillment provider and the customer service team all being incredibly close to one another. And there are some economic advantages to having your manufacturing and your fulfillment provider being close or even one and the same. There are some disadvantages too. 
so mm-hmm. knowing exactly what it is that you want to do or where it is that you should place really depends on A, who your customers are because you want the time that it takes for the product that comes out of your warehouse to deliver efficiently. So if you have your fulfillment provider, let's say, for example, in Florida, today you'll pay probably an extra day or two to ship that product to California. So a fulfillment provider that, let's say, for example, has something to service the East Coast and something to service either the Midwest or West, let's say, for example, a California or Utah-based, planning that network really depends on where you get your customers from. Because I know that there's a huge number of folks right now issuing customers from California based on some recent legislation. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the interesting thing now is that you said, you know, having your manufacturing and fulfillment one next to the other, and that there could be disadvantages. Like, I wouldn't see that as a disadvantage. Like, wouldn't that be actually better if you're, if you're manufacturing your product and then next door is your fulfillment? You can, you know, kind of pop it over and, and it'll be faster. What would be the disadvantage to that? If there's a hurricane that takes out both your manufacturing and your fulfillment, you are completely screwed and you have no options. Oh yeah, that's true. Right? We always forget about natural disasters, even though we live them all the time. Well, it's it's funny. They're gonna become more frequent. We can see that the frequency of hurricanes is going up. And then coupled with that, if you have infectious diseases like COVID, the likelihood of hey, your manufacturing getting shut down at the same time as your fulfillment increases if they happen to both be in a high area. So these are the types of things that we're going to be thinking about more and more as we plan our networks. Man, there's so many things to think about. Like I was like, oh, well, why not just put them next door to each other? And then you don't have to pay for shipping from one to the other and call it a day. But yeah, I mean, this is, I said, I wasn't going to ask you another question, but I did. So I'm sorry about that. I, you, you opened it up. So just kind of in closing, um, tell us, you know, like I have a geek question and that'll be, you know, just, this is, I'm sure this is not what a lot of people are doing, but I'm just curious as like we move to, towards the future, you know, did this whole product personalization, and, you know, having like designer supplements or designer boxes and stuff like that. How do you, how do you manage, like what are maybe one or two final thoughts on where there's a lot of items or or personalization that occurs? Like, how do you manage that? Like, what are your best practices there? Oh, wow. So yeah, it's definitely on the forefront. There are a number of companies that are doing it today. Uh, Standardizing processes makes them scale better. So I know that sounds like an, it almost sounds contradictory to what you said, which is there's sort of this volume variety trade-off. If you're going to personalize, then how do you standardize? Well, you can personalize in a couple of standard ways, and that's what I would actually recommend. So find ways to characterize your customers so that you can treat them in a consistent way. And so in the case of personalized supplements, there are a couple of companies in the space that are actually engaging with the customer to plan. There's one that does an analysis of uh, your blood and they build a package based on feedback that comes back from their blood analysis. Uh, And then you'll get a custom setup. So for fulfillment to handle that, they have a pick and pack process already, but for fulfillment to handle that most efficiently, if you know that this person is going to be ordering exactly the same thing, for a repeated period of time, then you can do pre-packs. And if you see a variety of, so let's say, for example, you are customizing the US. I can't remember the exact statistic, but it's a significant number of US males are vitamin D deficient. It's even more up here in Canada because we don't get the sunshine. If you know (laughs) that everyone's going to have vitamin D based on everyone's blood work coming back that way, then you can make sure in the fulfillment house that A, you have a large stock of vitamin D, 
B, that it's really close to your preparation area because you want the least energy to go and pull that out and stick it in your uh, whatever. C, you can actually prepackage it. So rather than having the empty box, have the box machine actually just drop that straight into the box so that when you're actually doing your pick and pack, if you know that that vitamin D is going to be there 90% of the time, actually make it a removal as opposed to a put in. These are some types of things that, that I'm seeing already occur in a variety of different ways. And we've done that for a while, stick letters, whale letters, or letters of thank you to large yeah. customers. It's following suit. We're just going to integrate even more sources of data on which to customize products for customers moving forward. It's a wacky world, Malcolm. I have to say this. There's so many <laughs> considerations that I never even thought of until like we connected and we started talking. I was like, I don't know. You just take something, put it in a box, ship it out. Done. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> but it's not. There's the it's huge logistics and, you know, I'm going to invite everybody in our audience to, you know, send me any questions or anything that you have for Malcolm about fulfillment. This guy knows what's up. You can contact Malcolm directly. I'll, I'll put his information in the show notes, uh, his website and all that stuff. And then lastly, Malcolm, I know that you worked, you know, you work in shipping fulfillment and all that, but what are some other cool areas that you've helped in, in the past other than, you know, being a merchant account whiz, uh, fulfillment whiz, inventory whiz, what else do you do? <laughs> I've been very fortunate to have a lot of good coaching from a variety of different people who are great in the industry. And uh, you can kind of think of me like a Lego brick. I know it sounds like a weird analogy, but if you have a hole inside your organization, I've had the good fortune to be exposed to a variety of things, basically the entire business. I look at the business as a system and I can slot in and narrow down to solve a particular individual problem or end up being you know, sort of a project management or a launch manager or things like that. I've had opportunities across the board. So uh, I just like talking to people and if I can help them, I'll give them a hand. Well, I have to say that when I don't know something, you are on my roster of people asking, <laughs> no matter what it is. I'm like, I think Malcolm will know this. <laughs> I just have him on Skype. I'm like, hey, Malcolm, how do you do this? <laughs> and uh, I do find that you're a wealth of information, Malcolm, and you always give me at least an idea of where I should start looking for, for something or, or, or a tip or something that could get me started. So you're like a, a little mini personalized DR Google, Google Malcolm, and he'll, he'll tell you uh, what you need to know. So thank you so much, Malcolm. This was super informative. Obviously we kind of just went over things very, very quickly and we can dive in more. So if anybody's listening and has some specific questions or, or conundrums about their fulfillment or their inventory and whatever, I'm happy to have Malcolm back, answer all this stuff and, and uh, even answer your questions directly. So thanks again, Malcolm. Have yourself a great day and uh, we'll be talking soon. Right back at you. Thanks, Maria. Hope you found today's session valuable. If you have any questions for me or just want to connect, please feel free to visit my website, mariasparagis.com. That's M-A-R-I-A-S-P-A-R-A-G-I-S.com. I'd love to hear what you're working on. So drop me a line on any hot button issues your business is experiencing. And remember, don't worry about failure. You only have to be right once.